If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to That's a Hard No, the podcast about saying no and setting boundaries so you can become the authentic and empowered you that this world needs. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. Before we start, a quick reminder. While I am a licensed professional clinical counselor, this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy with a mental health professional. If you notice the content in this podcast triggers some big feelings, Visit our website, hardnopodcast.com, for mental health resources and other helpful links. I'm so excited for this conversation. I can't wait to get started. Hi, Terry Tucker, and thank you so much for joining us today. I am so intrigued by your story. You're a man of many careers and locations and experiences, and I would love for you to kind of give us a little insight about you and your story. Well, Sarah and Heather, thank you very much for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. A little bit of background. Born and raised on the south side of Chicago, I am the oldest of three boys. You can't tell this from looking at me or from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. I have a brother who's six foot seven and was a pitcher for the University of Notre Dame. Another brother who's six foot six, who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers and the National Basketball Association. And then my dad was six five. So I sort of joke that If you sat behind our family in church growing up, not a prayer's chance you were going to see anything that was going on in front of us. But our five foot eight inch mother was always the boss. You know, it didn't matter how big, tall, strong we were. Whatever mom said, that's the way it went. As it should be. Yeah. I was very lucky. I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. And when I graduated, I moved home to find a job. I'm really going to date myself now. This was long before the internet was available to help people find jobs. Fortunately, I found that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Mm -hmm. Professionally, started out uh, at Wendy's, uh, spent 10 years in hospital administration, and then made a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And part of what I did during that, and I know you're going to laugh, I was an undercover narcotics investigator at six foot eight. Um, I was also a SWAT team (laughs) hostage negotiator. Um, Then I started my own school security consulting business, coached girls high school basketball, became an author in 2020. But for the last 10 years, 
um, have been battling a rare form of cancer. And then finally, my wife and I have been married for almost 29 years now. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. Oh, isn't that interesting? Wow, you've just, you've done it all. I mean, that is an amazing story. A lot of the stuff you told us about is ve- you're very active. You like, that's just a lot of rigorous, physically demanding stuff. A lot of learning and changing and transitioning from one career to the next. What was it like transitioning from being so active when you got your cancer diagnosis? Like how did, I mean, I'm guessing that habit of learning, you know, the experiences of learning and transitioning helped you, but how, how did that come into play when you got your diagnosis? And, and tell us a little more about what happened. Yeah, so at, at the time I was diagnosed, I was a, a girls high school basketball coach in Texas and I had a callus break open on the bottom of my foot, right below my third toe. And initially I didn't think much of it because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. Mm-hmm. But after it didn't heal for a couple of weeks, I, I made an appointment and went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine. And he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to him. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it, no dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern. But fortunately or unfortunately, he sent it off to pathology. And then two weeks later, I received a call from him. And as I mentioned, he was a friend. And the the more difficulty he was having explaining what was going on, Mm. the more frightened I was becoming. And so finally, he just laid it out for me. He said, Tara, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. You have a rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. And because your cancer is so incredibly rare, he recommended I go to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston and be treated. I did. I had the the bottom of my foot excised. I had all the lymph nodes in my left groin removed. And then when I healed, my doctor put me on a weekly injection, a drug called interferon, to help keep the disease from coming back. Mm. One of you just, mm, yeah, interferon was a horrible, nasty, debilitating drug. The the side effects of the interferon were that it gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And that wasn't a cure. That was, as my doctor used to say, we're trying to kick the can down the road and buy you more time. Uh, Had to stop the interferon in 2017 when it became so toxic that I ended up in the intensive care unit with a body temperature of 108 degrees, which is usually not compatible with being alive. Uh, and almost immediately after stopping the interferon, the cancer came back in the exact same spot on my foot that it had presented five years earlier. Ugh. 2018, I had my left foot amputated. Cancer worked its way up my leg uh, into my shin. Two more surgeries in 2019. And then in 2020, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle area grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone. And my only recourse right in the middle of the pandemic was to have my left leg amputated above the knee. And I also found out I had mm-hmm. tumors in my lungs and I'm currently being treated for those. Wow. Now on that uplifting story. Yeah, uh, that's a lot. <laughs> it has. I would really like to pause for a second because as you were sharing in the beginning about your lifespan and your life experience and all of these things that you did, you then had this 
small injury that you thought nothing of. And from what I'm gathering and and from listening to you, you have such a strong mindset and you have such determination in what you say and how you say it. And so to go into this appointment kind of thinking, you know, I have my mind. I know, you know, where life is going to lead me. I'm, I, you know, have a very, um, I have a vision and then like, bam, this, this just hit you. Can you take us there for a moment? Like what, what was that like to see everything that you've accomplished and then kind of your future? And I don't want to speak for you, but kind of like blurred. Like, I don't know what that looks like now. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty much like being hit right between the eyes. I remember exactly where I was when, when my podiatrist called, I, you know, I, I was, I had my school security consulting business. I was walking out of a FedEx store after sending a report to a school that I had just finished working with when the phone rang. And, you know, I saw the number and I thought, oh, okay. And I thought, well, you know, we were in Houston, Texas. It's, you know, 90% humidity. I'm like, I'm going to get in the car, turn the air conditioning on, you know, and, and get this quick call and get this behind me. And then I get this news. And I think I went through all the emotions that we would consider part of grief. You know, first it was denial. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, I can't possibly have this. I've done everything right in my life. And, you know, and then you get mad and then you sort of start bargaining with God for different, you know, our daughter was in high school. It's like, you know, just let me get, let me live long enough for her to get out of high school. And and then, you know, you, you sort of get down and then you get to a point where you have to make a choice, where you have to decide, well, am I going to let this beat me mm-hmm. or am I going, you know, am I going to win this? Am I going to find a way to win this? And, you know, these were the cards that I was dealt. I didn't like the cards at all, but I knew I had to play them and play them to the best of my ability. And that's what I've been trying to do for the last 10 years. And, and I made a conscious decision early on that I was never going to take out my, my frustration, my bad days, my depression on a doctor, on a nurse, on a therapist, on somebody that was trying mm-hmm. to help me. I've seen a lot of people do that. You know, they're they're mad, they're scared, they're whatever, and they take it out on other people's like, nope, nobody gave this to me. You know, people were, well, well, who do you blame because you got cancer? And I was like, what do you mean, who do I blame? I mean, we're great in the United States about, you know, we, we start down the road towards a goal and then we butt up against an impediment and we can't get over it or around it or through it. So we quit. Mm-hmm. But we just don't quit. We got to blame somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, very few people take personal responsibility for their own success and happiness. So people are like, well, who do you blame? And I'm like, well, I don't blame anybody. And then when people find out I have a faith life, they're like, well, you must blame God. And I sort of joke. I'm like, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, hey, Terry Tucker, <laughs> cancer today. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think that at God's all. God's not a micromanager. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know why I got it, but I've got it. And I just have to deal with the fact that I've got it. I, nothing I can do is going to change the fact that I have cancer. I don't know if you know this, Terry, but I... I recently went through a cancer diagnosis and yeah, I'm, I'm in remission now and I'm good. And you were talking about the blaming thing and I turned it inward. I said, what did I do wrong? What did I do? How, why did I get this? And was blaming myself. And my doctor looked at me and she said, Heather, one in eight women get breast cancer. It's like the most common form of cancer, like one of the most common. She's like, you didn't do anything wrong. You just got it. And so now you just have to deal with it. And, and it was one of those, okay, well now what? you know, 
and just get on with it. So. And when I found out I had it, I a couple summers ago, I had all 88 genes that doctors either know for sure or suspect cause every form of cancer that we know. I had, I had all my genes tested and I have no mutations in any of my genes for any cancer. Same. Which again, begs the question, why? And, you know, I've asked my oncologist, he can't tell me. So I don't spend a lot of time worrying about why. Right. You know, I've got it. Deal with it. Yeah. And you mentioned that grief cycle and grief is not linear. And, you know, it hits you at different times and you may think you're past something and then it brings you back. But the thing that I really want, you know, to highlight is just the mindset. Terry, that you have. And I would like for you to share a little bit more about what got you to a place that this is a mindset that you have, this not blaming. I'm all about, and those that listen regularly, it's all about not blaming, shaming, judging, or criticizing. It's just bringing our curiosity to things and figuring out you know, how can we move forward with whatever is dealt? And so take us through your experience with mindset and how it's evolved into what it is that you're living out now. I don't want to sit here and and either have you or your audience think that I don't have bad days. I do. I mean, there are mm-hmm. days I cry. There are days I get down. There are days I feel sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. And and when I do, I, I remember a couple of things. I, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. It's going to sound kind of weird to start out with, but hang with me on this one. We're all about weird over here. So you're like weird. Keep going. Keep going. (laughs) So I remember reading a story uh, about a professor at Johns Hopkins University back in the 1950s who did an experiment with rats. And I, I, you know, when I first read it, I'm like, okay, this can't be true. And, And I did some research. I haven't found anything to disprove that this didn't happen. So I'm going to take it as fact, but I I mean, I didn't know the professor or anything like that. Basically, he did a very simple experiment. He took rats and he put rats in a tank of water that was over their head. And he wanted to see how long the average rat could tread water. And the average rat treaded water for about 15 minutes. And just as the rats were getting ready to sink and drown, he reached in, grabbed them, pulled them out, dried them off, and let them rest for a while. And then he took those exact same rats and put it back in that exact same tank of water. And the second time around, on average, the rats treaded water for 60 hours. What? So think about that. First time, 15 minutes. I'm just not going to fail. I'm going to die. And the second time, 60 hours, which said to me two things. One, the importance of hope in our lives. We have to believe, maybe not today, maybe not next month, maybe not even next year, but sometime down the road, our life or what we're going through is going to improve. And secondly, it said to me just how much more the physical body, our human bodies can handle than we ever thought they could. I mean, we all have a breaking point, but that breaking point is so much farther down the road than we ever thought it could be. So so that's one thing. And then the other thing, and I think I learned this very early on, you know, I started playing basketball when I was nine years old and, and I played all the way up till I graduated from college. And I think one of the things that team sports taught me was the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. You realize on a team that if you don't do your job, not only do you let yourself down, but you let your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, etc. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play 
is this game of life. So I'm on this clinical trial drug now that may not save my life, but the way I look at it is maybe it's going to save the life of somebody five years from now or 10 years from now. So it's worth for me, because I want to be part of something that's bigger than myself, to go through all the ugliness that I go through when I get treated every three weeks. I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate what you're sharing because this idea of hope and also taking responsibility for our mindset is so imperative. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people come in and out of my office and just societally, we have this idea of wanting a quick fix. Everything is at our fingertips. You know, what's the next medication or what is the next, you know, therapy I need to do or whatever. And it feels as though we're going through the motions, but not necessarily rewiring our brain, rewiring our thinking. And the thing that I am so fascinated about in regards to our brains is that the neuroplasticity in our brain allows our brain to stretch and grow. And I'm not sure, Terry, Heather, you've heard me talk about it enough, but the whole idea of growth mindset. Mm -hmm. And so really being able to, you know, acknowledge these things, acknowledge the hard, you know, fail I look as first attempt in learning, um, you know, what is this teaching me? How can I, you know, grow from this? Not everybody feels that way. And I was actually just reading some research that had shared statistics regarding mental illness and the elderly and how oftentimes that those that get older and start to have different ailments, if they have a stigma towards mental health, mental illness, they're less likely to recover from that ailment. And so hmm. it's just mind-blowing to me the more that we can normalize this and also recognize that there are going to be a lot of things that happen in our life. There's going to be, you know, tragedies that happen. But how we view that actually will allow our body to heal itself and get through that. Or to your point, not to be so extreme, but with, you know, that rat experiment or our mindset could create us to drown. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, when I was growing up, there was a basketball coach at Indiana University by the name of Bobby Knight. And, and Bobby Knight had this great saying. He said, mental is to physical as four is to one. So here's this, you know, one of the best college basketball coaches of all times, teaching young men to use their bodies to be great basketball players. But what he was really saying with that quote is that your mind or your mindset is four times more important than anything your physical body is going to do. So, you know, I, I mean, yes, mm -hmm. some of these days suck, but you've got to embrace the suck, for lack of a better term. You've got to, <laughs> I mean, you do. You've got to take this and say, you know. I think, I think we've got a podcast episode title, Embrace the Suck. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> Great. That's great. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, 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 that's fine. It, it's, it's just, you know, there were days when I was in on interferon where I honestly, yeah. I prayed to die. I was so sick of being sick that I was like, yeah. come on, God, I'm done with this. You know, I, I can't go on. Yeah. And, you know, you want to win the day, but sometimes winning the day is I got to get out of bed and I got to make it to the couch. That's winning today. That's all I can physically mm -hmm. 
do. That's all I can. I'm going to throw up while I do it. I'm going to have a headache. I'm going to have a fever. I'm going to do all this other stuff that we associate with the flu. But you know what? I'm going to win today. And and tomorrow is another day. And I'm going to figure out a way to win tomorrow as well. I, I mean, I don't have all the answers. I kind of make this stuff up as I go along. There's no, you know, like, well, ask me this question. I know what to do. I, there are, I don't know what to do sometimes. I mm-hmm. had a nurse ask me recently, what was it like to have your your foot amputated and your leg amputated. And and I told her, I said, it's not been easy. I mean, I'm still two years post my leg amputation learning to walk again with a prosthetic. But what I told her was, cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind, it can't touch my heart, and it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. That's who you are. That's who your audience is. This is just a, a, a house or a vessel or whatever you want to call it to house who we really are. So don't get too caught up in what happens with this. Spend more time worrying about your heart, your mind, and your soul, because that's who you really are. Terry, did you know that I needed to hear that message? Or (laughs) did you just like that? Oh, my goodness. Take me to church, because... (laughs) Not good at amen, sister. (laughs) Right. That is what I needed to hear, and I think so many of us do. And I'm curious for you, and and it sounds like you do such a beautiful job of intuitively listening to yourself and what you need. And I really want to pick back up on that. We're going to take a short break, but I want to dive into that. That's a Hard No is brought to you by Clever Girl Marketing, my full-service agency specializing in smart, strategic marketing solutions for businesses and nonprofits. Okay, so you're probably wondering, Heather, what's with the podcast about boundaries? Why not marketing? Well, maybe in the future, but for now, it actually does relate. So bear with me here. Smart marketing, strategic marketing, requires knowing what to say no to and why. Businesses and nonprofits get inundated with marketing options and offers every day. We help you cut through all that noise, focus on your specific needs, and develop actionable strategies that are doable and actually make sense. Whether it's websites, SEO, email, social, or traditional channels, we're experienced in all of it. So if you need help figuring out your marketing, visit our website, clevergrowmarketing.com, and get in touch. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And we're back with Terry Tucker. So Terry, you were mentioning about how you don't have all of the answers. And every day there is different levels, different layers of hard. And I'm curious for you, you know, is there kind of a checklist in your mind of things that 
I know myself well enough to know these are things that I need to do daily in order to keep my mind, you know, sharp or filling my cup. I am going through my fourth postpartum journey, and we just had an episode on the fourth trimester. And I know for me, I have to be moving my body. Movement is key. Exercise is huge for me. Mm -hmm. I need to be making sure I'm fueling my body with foods that make me feel my best. I need to be drinking water, a lot of water. I'm also, you know, breastfeeding. So I'm, you know, nourishing my baby. I need to get outside. Sunlight is so important for me. And I need to spend at least five to 10 minutes of quiet time. I'm very overstimulated with four little boys and I'm a business owner. And so again, these are just little things that I know I need to do daily, not in a specific order, but I know that that's like my medicine. That's like my therapy to allow my head to feel its best for, like you were saying, my heart, my soul, so that then I can be the best version of myself. And so I'm curious for you if that resonates at all, or if you kind of have a little list that you could share with listeners. Yeah, I, I do. I, as a matter of fact, it's, it's interesting because one of my nurses in, in my, uh, I go to an infusion center at the University of Colorado uh, every three weeks. And, and one of the nurses that takes care of me is, is about ready or, or probably should have had her baby by now. And, you know, I was like, you know, how you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm fat. I'm a, you know, and I just kind of, I said this to her once. I don't know if it resonates. She's young. Not, not that you're old by any means, Sarah, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, but she, you know, she's, she, I, you know, I said to her, look, look at the, the tremendous miracle that you're about to undertake. I, I mean, to give birth, to give life to another human being and then to nurture that life for the rest of your life is something that I can't even fathom. I can't even imagine. And I, you know, going back to when we were talking about how, you know, we all get, we all get down. We're human beings. I mean, no, none of us have S's on our chests or wearing capes or, or anything like that. We're human beings. We have those bad days. And, and another thing that helps me is when, when I feel like that, you know, wh what are we doing? We're looking in, oh, you know, I feel bad. I, I, I feel sick. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking all about me. I find that if I project whatever that is, not project that, but, but take my focus off of me and put it on somebody else. Hey, I, you know, like I said, I go to a, an infusion center with hundreds of people every day. Isn't there somebody I can find that needs a pat on the back that needs, hey, how's it going? Hey, do you want to have a cup of coffee? Now I'm not focused on me anymore. I'm focused on somebody else. I'm making a difference in their life. And all of a sudden, my problems, my issues, my depressions aren't so bad anymore. And one of the things that I do, I try to do every single morning is to pray. I have met a lot of people along this cancer journey. I'm on a clinical trial now that I started with two other people that I, I even with HIPAA, you know, we kind of figured out we were all doing the same thing, the, you know, and, and at the same time with the same drug. <laughs> Those two people passed away last year because of the disease. I'm sort of the, the standard bearer now. I'm, I'm, I'm carrying their legacy with me. So, you know, I, I mean, you, you get to that point where it's not about you. It really isn't about you. I always tell young people, you're unique, but you're not special. You know, you have unique gifts and talents that you need to nurture and figure out where you are in life and use those to find your purpose. 
but you know what? You're, you're really not that special. This whole thing, hey, it's all about me. It's not about you. It's about us collectively together. And if we can, if we can figure that out, if we can realize that it's not about us and start focusing on other people, like, you know, focusing on the children, the four wonderful miracles that you're raising, that you will raise for the rest of your life. I mean, that gives me goosebumps just to think about that. I mean, I have one child, you know, I grew up in a family of, of boys. I went to an all guys Catholic high school in Chicago. I went to an all male military college. So when my wife and I went to the OBGYN, it was like, do you want to know what it is? It's like, oh, absolutely. Well, you should buy pink. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You need to leave it in there until it's done. I have no idea what to do with a girl. So, you know, but you learn, you figure it out, you adapt. You know, you're going to make mistakes. That's okay. Learn from them. This brings to mind something I saw on your website. So I was, you know, in preparation for the interview, I was scoping out all your stuff. And I, I came across, well, first of all, your website's called Motivational Check. And then I read the story of where that came from. And I thought it was so inspiring. I'd love for you to share that because, again, it's it's like another angle of helping someone else. So I'd love for you to share that. When I was a recruit in the Cincinnati, uh, Ohio Police Academy, our uh, defensive tactics instructor gave us that phrase, motivational check, so that anytime we were, you know, having a bad day and, and we did some he was kind of kind of crazy. I mean, we ran a marathon. We, I mean, we did things that really pushed our bodies and anytime somebody was just having a bad day, they could scream out motivational check. And the rest of the class would respond. We were the 84th recruit class would respond with, you know, an 84. Just to let that person know, it's like, hey, you're not in this alone. We're all in this together. We're all hurting, but we will get through this together. We will get through this as a team, as a group. And, and so when I was looking for a title for my blog, it kept coming to my mind. I'm like, well, that's probably something that God's kind of like, hey, dummy, I'm giving you the title. Use it here. You know, and so <laughs> I, I did that. And that's that's how Motivational Check came to be. And was it hard to like to ask for that encouragement at first or did everybody embrace it right away? Oh, everybody embraced. I, I mean, I, I, I could tell you story. I mean, if, if you've ever been pepper sprayed, I, I mean, Ugh. this guy was crazy enough that he would open the locker room door as we were all getting ready to changing into our PT gear to, to go out, you know, and, and learn different things. He'd open the door and just spray pepper spray into the locker room. So you're coughing and hacking and, you know, you're snotting yourself and you're trying to get dressed and you're trying to get out and you're starting behind the eight ball, you know? So it's kind of like, okay, now we got to go through all this mm. physically demanding stuff. I, I was a 37 year old rookie police officer. So I took a whole lot more Tylenol in the police academy than the younger people did. So... <laughs> Well, and Terry, I, I have to ask your perspective on this because I really appreciate hearing your point of view and where you're coming from. And I will say a majority of our listeners are women, and we talk a lot about the importance of putting our oxygen masks on first so that then we can be the best we can for others. And so as you were sharing about, you know, having some of those really tough days in the hospital and and noticing within yourself, my gosh, like this is hard. I'm having a hard day, but yet still having the ability to help others in need. What would you like to share with kind of going back to that idea of like putting your oxygen mask on first? How do you help yourself first so then you're able to help others? 
cancer tends to isolate you. Any kind of disease, I think, tends to isolate you. You know, it isolates you from your friends. It isolates you from your family. And in many cases, it isolates you from yourself. And, you know, I, I say that to people, what do you mean by that? It's like, you, you don't want to be, your, you don't want to be alone with yourself. You don't want, you know, the demons to start creeping in, you know, to your head, but you need those demons. My entire lower body is filled with scars from surgeries, from all those years of taking interferon shots and stuff like that. I'm pretty ugly below the weight. I'm so sorry that you're going through yeah, that. That's rough. Don't be sorry. I, I, I earned those. I earned those scars. I earned all the ugliness that I went through and I'm proud of it. And so when I mm -hmm. got sick, I had to realize that I had to cut myself a break. Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, mm -hmm. that I, I could be a type A personality, but you know what? There were days, as I said before, I just got to get out of the bed and I got to make it to the couch. And, you know, sometimes you're like, God, what a failure I am. You know, I, I mean, I'm, this is terrible. I, you know, I don't deserve the beer and stuff like that. You start, get, the demons start to creep. I call it the shitty committee that meets in my head and tells me all of those things that are so far from the truth, but man, do they get my attention and then they'll start to spiral unless you catch it and yeah. intentionally, purposefully, and actively shift it. And, and that's exactly right. And and, and I and, and people are like, well, you know, oh, you, you did all this stuff. You, you you could do this. I could never do this. I am the biggest wimp in the world. So I promise you, if I can do this, if I can figure out how to make my brain, how to make change my mindset, I learned kind of early on. I when I was in high school, I had three knee surgeries, and I remember when I went back playing basketball after those knee surgeries, my brain was putting all kinds of negative thoughts into my mind. You know, things like, hey, you're probably a step slower and coaches aren't going to be interested in recruiting you. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I'm still playing at an elite level mm -hmm. and coaches are still reaching out about the possibility of playing for their school. I realized early on that I had to change that narrative. I had to change that mindset into something positive. And if you think about it, everything I've read, and, and Sarah, you may know this better than I do, Every day we have somewhere between 60 and 70,000 thoughts that pass through our brain, many of which we don't even pay attention to. But if you think about that, your mind can only hold one thought at a time. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to make that a negative thought? I mean, I think back to college when guys the night before a big test. What did everybody say? Oh, man, I'm going to blow this test. I'm not going to do very good on this. Why does everybody go to the negative? Why doesn't why don't people say, well, I paid attention in class all semester. You know what? I'm going to do great on this test. We don't. We immediately go to the negative. If you keep doing that, you're going to develop a negative mindset. Oh, yeah, that's just what I expect. If you catch it, if you realize that's a negative thought, nope, I got to change that. I got to change the narrative. I got to put something positive in there. And, and going back to your thoughts about you know, our brains are just like our muscles are, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, if we go to the gym, we pick up a 10 pound weight and we do 10 arm curls, but we don't find that movement difficult, then our muscle is never going to grow. Mm -hmm. But if we take that same 10 pound weight, we do arm curls until we exhaust our muscle, then our muscle will grow and develop. That same tactic works with your mind. If you do difficult things right. that scare you, that make you nervous, that make you uncomfortable, that are potentially embarrassing. And here's another thing I recommend. Do that every day. Do one thing every day that's scary. That's that, you know, I, I mean, do that every single day. 
and you will get to the point where your mind will be so much more resilient and able to handle the tough things when they come down the pipe. You're speaking my language, Terry. That's how this whole podcast started, was I could not say no. It was the most uncomfortable, painful thing in the world for me to do. So I made myself do it at least once a day. And and I had to keep track and I had to measure how I felt. It was like a challenge I put forth for myself and I'm still doing it because it's still hard, but it's getting easier and easier and easier. And now I'm, you know, evangelizing to everyone I know. So yeah, you build the muscles, you build those behaviors, that mindset with practice. Yeah. And so, I mean, Heather, you, if you think about it, the most successful people yeah. in the world, the Barack Obamas, the Warren Buffetts, the, you know, whatever. Yeah. The biggest word they use every day is no. No, I'm not going to do that. No, because I know what I need to do or what I want to do. Yeah. So I'm going to say no to that so that I can concentrate on, on what fulfills me, what what I feel I need to do. Right. And so they say no, but we don't want to say no. I mean, we, we're not a team player if we say no. Right. Well, sometimes you got to be a little selfish. Absolutely. One thing that I wanted to circle back to was, you know, that idea of thoughts and how a lot of what I really hope that people hear and also learn through their time with me in sessions is that we want to be talking to ourselves more than we're listening to ourselves. And so when it comes to our thoughts, Terry, you hit the nail on the head. Oftentimes, that first automatic thought is a negative thought. More times than not, and I'm not going to go into all of it, but it's a lot of generational conditioning. It's things from our past. And so that first thought that comes to your mind, we want to make sure that we're talking to it rather than it controlling us. And so are there any mantras or things that have been helpful for you that you can share with our listeners? I guess I'm to the point now because I've been going through this so long that I, I'm pretty tuned into my own thoughts. I'm pretty tuned into, mm-hmm. ooh, that's not a good one. Yeah, you know, and and Sarah, maybe you can talk more about this. I, I remember reading an article about the the area in our brains, and I don't know what it's called or anything like that, where if if you think about, uh, I'll give you an example. There was there was a story a long time ago about a basketball team, and and a coach wanted to improve the free throw shooting accuracy of his team. So he had one group of players shoot, you know, 25 extra free throws after practice at night. And then had another group of players that just sat down, closed their eyes and saw themselves shooting those free throws every single time. They never physically did it, but they saw themselves in their brain. And and this article talked about how the, the part of your brain where you're creating those neurons, where you're creating those synapse connections where you're doing something lights up as the same part of your brain where you're thinking about it. You're not actually doing it, but you're thinking about it. And, um, you know, when I read that, I was like, oh, my God. You know, so, I mean, we can make ourselves do things positively, hopefully, just by thinking about it. Because that same area in our brain is lighting up, is making those connections. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, I've got to. I've got to be even more cognizant of of what's going in here because just Mm -hmm. thinking about it could create a connection in my brain that now, oh my God, if I want to change that, it's going to be that much harder to do. 
Absolutely. And those types of things, some of even those mantras or the guided imagery or just, you know, it's important for us to think about those things and create that because what we think we can create, we can execute. But if we find ourselves constantly going towards that negative and not being able to stop that, that's where things get very difficult. And so I love what I'm hearing you say is that I am now in tune enough with my body that I know when that shitty committee or that negative self-talk is coming and I'm now to a point where I'm able to catch it much sooner and then I can rewire. And I think that's the beautiful piece. And so if anyone out there is noticing, my gosh, like mine just is on loud all the time. Like I just, I don't know any different. You can change that if you actively and intentionally and purposefully Mm -hmm. start to do some of that imagery, start to see yourself, whether it's moving a career or getting out of a toxic relationship or wanting to have X, Y, or Z, if you start to think about that. And I also think it's very important for us to identify too our nervous system in all of this is that we need to be at a regulated state because if our nervous system is not regulated, if we're dysregulated, our parasympathetic nervous system is in that fight, flight, freeze, or fawn state. And so if you want to start to integrate something like this into your life, really work on breathing, work on getting yourself to a place where your emotional temperature is down so that you can have clarity and then you can start to create these shifts that will absolutely impact in a positive way. Yeah. And also, I, I can't remember if it was Sarah or, you, or Heather, one of you talked about, you know, we, we want that instant gratification. You know, I, I want to change my mindset and I want to change it right now. And if it doesn't happen tomorrow, then then it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. If you go in with that mindset, you're, you're never going to change your mindset. You have to realize over time of realize, oh, that's a negative thought. I got to change that. Okay, fine. Oh, I had a couple more bad thoughts. That's okay, too. That's all right. It's going to happen. We all have them. And realize that you're not a bad person or, you you know, this is never going to happen because you want it to happen overnight. It will happen over time. Give it that time. Right. I really appreciate you bringing that part up as well, both of the pieces that you just shared. And especially because, like you said, it's not a quick fix. And we're human. It's bringing your awareness to things. We cannot change what we don't acknowledge. And once we start to acknowledge those things, that's where the change happens. Right. We've talked about this how many times, Sarah, on our podcast about the negative thoughts and talking to yourself instead of listening to yourself. And it was after one of those conversations, I realized that I kept calling myself stupid in my brain. I just, mm-hmm. and it's funny because my company is called Clever Girl. And I just, I would make a mistake on something I was doing and I'd be like, oh, you're so stupid. And I mentioned that to Sarah and more and they were like, what, what are you talking about? And so now it's, I still catch myself doing it, but now I'm aware of it. And so now I just, you know, if that happens, I'm like, no, you're not stupid. You're tired right now. You're tired. So you made a mistake. And when you're, yeah. when your brain is fresh and you're more alert, you won't make that same mistake again. And, you know, maybe you need to go rest. And, and that's, that's a huge, that's a huge point. Yeah. I didn't even know I was doing yeah. it. When you're tired, when you're in pain, when you're all those right. physical things, 
play stress, play on your brain. Right, right. You know, and it's like, oh, I, I don't, my resources aren't marshaled. You know, I'm tired. I, yeah. I, I'm sick. I hurt. I and and that's yeah. when the demons come. That's that, you know, when you're yeah. at that low point. And we beat ourselves up. We compound it, you know, instead of giving ourselves a break, like you were talking about, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. And I have to bring up one more time, I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, but if that negative thought does, you know, come up rather than blaming, shaming, or criticizing yourself for that, just, I'm human. Mm-hmm. I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And then being able to say, as Heather pointed out, and I always talk about, it's like your check engine lights going off. What What's underneath the hood? Am I tired? Am I, you know, fill in the blank? We've gone through this before, but, but just offering compassion and curiosity mm-hmm. rather than blaming or shaming yourself for those things. So, Terry... What key takeaways would you like our listeners to take away from this conversation? And also tell us a little bit about your book. I'll tell you about the book first, if you don't mind. I'll, I'll answer okay, that. Okay, there you go. I'll, I'll leave you with a story if I could. Sure. Uh, the book is called Sustainable Excellence, The Ten Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. It was a book born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former player that I had coached who had moved to Colorado with her fiance and and my wife and I and her and her fiance had dinner one night. And I remember saying to her, you know, I'm really excited. You're living close and I can watch you find and live your purpose. She got real quiet for a while. And then she looked at me and she's like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth and living that reason. And the second conversation was with a young man in college who reached out to me on social media and asked me what I thought were the most important things he should learn to not just be successful in his job or in business, but to be successful in life. And I didn't want to give him that, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. Not that those aren't important. They are incredibly important. But I wanted to see if I could maybe go deeper with him. So I spent some time taking some notes and eventually I had these 10 thoughts, these 10 ideas, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to him. And then I kind of stepped back and I was like, well, I got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. So literally during the time between having my leg amputated and starting the chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories. And they're real stories about real people underneath each of those principles. And that's how sustainable excellence came to be. Wow. And I always love that saying of like, your mess becomes your message. And just that, even though you were having some of those negative thoughts, or even that imposter syndrome coming up, you had that support system that was cheering you on and and giving you the confidence that you needed to do this. It was. You know, Terry, it has been an absolute honor talking to you, and I appreciate everything that you've shared. I feel like there are so many things that I'm. I wish we could have gotten more in depth into. Um, if listeners want to find you or learn more about you, where can they find you? So I have a blog called MotivationalCheck.com. I put up a thought for the day and every day, and with that thought, kind of comes a question about maybe how. You can apply that thought in your life. Um, I've started a, a membership called Sustainable Excellence Membership. If you go to sustainableexcellencemembership.com, you can get a free copy of my book, Sustainable Excellence. Uh, but motivationalcheck.com will pretty much get you to me. Awesome. It's been 
soul enriching for me personally, having had a little taste of a cancer journey. I really appreciate your courage and your strength and your message and your positivity. And I'm just really grateful that we got to talk to you today. Well, thank you both for having me on. I I always say it's nice people like you that allow me to come on and have a conversation with you. And hopefully between that conversation, we make a positive difference in somebody's life. Today's been a good day. Absolutely. And good luck with everything. We will be keeping you in our thoughts and in our prayers and continue doing your work because it's so needed in this world. I appreciate that. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Visit our website, hardnopodcast.com for this episode's show notes, past episodes, downloadables, and links to resources. Also, you'll find links to each of our websites, clevergirlmarketing.com and purposefulgrowthandwellness.com. Make sure to follow and get in touch with us on social. We're at Hard No Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And please do us a huge favor. If you liked what you heard here, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast wherever you listen so others can find us too. Thanks to our friends and family, our villagers, for listening and for all your continued support. That's a Hard No is a joint production of Clever Girl Marketing and Purposeful Growth and Wellness. Marketing and Production Coordinator, Mara Del Rosario. Production Support, Evergreen Podcasts, Noah Fouts, Producer. Music by Gigi Riggs. Until next time, thanks for listening. And remember, saying no isn't just okay. Saying no is the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. So do it. Find your no, then say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do. So you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to the Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way.